Welcome to Geared for Growth. I'm your host, Mike Mordlock, Managing Director of MCG Quantity Surveyors, and we have a very special guest for you today. It's Tiran Manning, the founder of Newcastle Buyers Agent. So it's very easy to understand that he's from Newcastle and a buyer's agent. So today we're focusing in on Newcastle. We're talking to Tiran about what he's noticed from a gentrification point of view. He points out what you'd need to spend to secure an investment in some of the various areas of Newcastle and he gives us a bit of a lay of the land of the different pockets where you can purchase some quality properties. He gives us some great advice for investors looking for their next property and we talk about the role of a buyer's agent in general as well. It's a great interview with Tiran and I hope you enjoy it. Here's Tiran. Tiran Manning, thanks for joining me on Geared for Growth. No worries Mike, thanks for having me. It's uh, it's probably long overdue. I've known you for quite some time, and I'm very interested to dive into your special area. But before we do that, can you let us know who you are and what you specialise in? So my name's Tieran Manning, and my business is Newcastle Buyers Agent. Uh, it gives a bit of a clue as to what I do. I'm a Newcastle-based <laughs> buyers agent, uh, and that means I represent buyers in a property transaction. Uh, whether it's bidding at auction or helping them locate and negotiate and settle on their home or investment. Beautiful. I love it when it does what it says on the tin. Um, what posters were on the bedroom wall growing up, Tieran? Uh Depends on uh, how old we are. Here, when I was young, it was like cars and trucks, but as uh, it's got a little bit older, there was cars, cars and girls. Um <laughs> But as any teenage boy would have uh, growing up. But, yeah, I'm very very much into my, my cars still to this day. Um, but, yeah, property is probably where I saw more of an opportunity to make a good living and, um, and enjoy what I do. Now, what about property? How did you first get started in property and what was your first investment? So property for me started when my parents were looking to buy uh, in the 90s and I remember looking at hundreds of pro- – it felt like hundreds but might have might have been 50 to 100 properties in, in the old days of multi-list uh, with an agent who's still around today and I just enjoyed it. It was just – it was always interesting and um, checking out what, you know, um, how different houses were like and – and different areas and then when they did end up buying at Walls End they decided that uh, rather than renovate they would knock down the house which involved looking at a lot of display homes so you know pretty much an area like Warrabrook I've been through every single house that's in that initial stage of Warrabrook at some point when we're looking at all the display homes and and to this day yeah, it's something I do with my wife for you know well, pre pre uh Corona was was go to have a look at display homes because it's just something I'm, I'm passionate about. You know, seeing what people do with property and what what the latest trends are. Uh, there you go. Now I hope your wife is uh, equally enthusiastic about that uh, <laughs> that weekend hobby. Today we're going to talk about Newcastle. Um, of course, you being Newcastle buyers agent, and you're born and bred in Newcastle. I wanted to ask a question about 
um, I guess there's Novocastrians that like to consider you a local if you're born and bred in Newcastle, but if you've sort of moved to Newcastle, you don't really quite cut the mustard. What's that about? Is there a real sort of patriotism to Novocastrians? I think it is. It, it's, I suppose, uh, we've never really been looked after by uh, Sydney-based governments, so that gives us a bit of a chip on the shoulder. Uh, we've always been seen as the dirty poor cousin to Sydney, that you know, the, the working-class city that's you know just full of industry, and, and that's it. And in, now, over or well, since BHP closed in the in you know early two thousands, that change has uh, slowly started to. Um, wear, wear off that working class image and show that hey, there's more to it, more to our city than than smokestacks and uh, you know coal stockpiles. <laughs> yeah, of course there are still the coal stockpiles, but you've got wine bars, hipster culture, even a, a brewery in the CBD. So it's definitely gentrified, right? Mm, definitely, well, distillery in Carrington as well, and. Um, you know the you know, other inner, like inner city winemakers and uh, yeah, like brewery, uh, Foghorn, and yeah, there's a number of these businesses that have uh, kicked off and since flourished, and they've they've kind of fertilised the ground for other people to um, create their own and. It's it's something I, I love talking about too is business in Newcastle and, and all the, the the businesses that have started and 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 their journeys and uh, particularly when I'm talking to people from outside of Newcastle that are either relocating or investing, uh, it's it's definitely something to people to be taking into consideration the diversity of our industry and and that diversity then converts into employment opportunities as well. I'm interested to hear how you've observed Newcastle changing. I mean, you grew up in Mayfield in the 80s, which I guess is it's it's a fairly inner city suburb, maybe, what, uh, five or ten minutes' drive to the CBD. What what, what have you noticed uh, growing up in, in Mayfield and in Newcastle? In the 80s, I, I just remember um, the neighbours were predominantly older and the houses were like post-war, um, post-World War Two uh, weatherboard and iron roofs or um, tile roofs. Uh, then we had an earthquake in 89, which I remember as a seven-year-old, and there was a lot of uh, construction and renovation and, and works happening everywhere. There was just builders everywhere from all over the place. Uh, it was still very smoggy, and, and that was a... Thing and playing, you know, playing soccer down at the um, you know, Boomerang Park, which is you know in the shadow of BHP, and uh, the, the distinct like smells of you know the, the industry while you're while you're training should shouldn't have been very good for any of us growing up, but um, it was just part and parcel. You know, the kids I went to school with some some went to BHP, and some of them you know were in some of the other subsidiary in, industries. Um, when we moved to Walls End in the 90s, um, parents retained the house as an investment for a short period there before they decided to build. And 
it was um, through the you know that period. I don't really recall too much of of Newca of Mayfield. Also, Walls End. I grant again, I was surrounded by you know people that were a bit older and a bit more families. But it was around you know with the time BHP closing that we see particularly Mayfield went through some big changes. People were you know investing in the suburb. Uh, then um, the boom came. Then in two thousand three, you know, prices went through. You know, doubled or doubled pretty much overnight. And first home buyers were, were you know given a, a boost to get into the market, and that's where it started to change the uh, the uh, gentrification of the suburb. So people moving in and renovating, increasing the value of those properties. And then we had you know, 2008 where they got another bit of a boost, went for a bit of a lull, and then it's picked back up again where I think there was a, there was a house around the corner from where I grew up just three bedroom, two bathroom with a um, single garage off a laneway on less than 400 square meters went for 840,000. Oh, wow. Uh, my, <laughs> my parents sold the childhood home um, in the early 90s for 112. <laughs> so, you know, the, 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 yeah, that one was renovated you know, to a very high standard, but. Um, that was still an incredible price, and that mm. was from a buyer from Sydney. And, um, it wasn't it wasn't the best part of the suburb by any means, but it was a it was a decent decent house. And I think part of the demand in recent years is that Mayfield's one of the few suburbs that has five to the premise NBN at, at a very very reliable high speed, and it's very close to the city, very close to the beaches well-serviced by public transport, close to the major employment centres like the uni and, and hospitals, and, and there's another hospital across in Waratah. So it's a very central uh, suburb with a broad broad range of property types and budgets as well. You know, the cheap, cheapest property you could probably buy would be around, you know, 500, which wouldn't be, you know, livable, uh, but then would go right through to some selling for 1.2 or more now. There's, there's actually one for sale there now for around $4 million. Yeah, wow. Which, yeah, and, which is incredible. And uh, it's certainly been a, a, a pretty good investment hotspot. I know a number of people that um, have bought into Walls End and, and done really well, really well. Let's take a step back uh, and dive into your journey a little bit. So you talked about how you were looking at new houses with your parents and um, obviously looking through the display homes, a, a hobby that you, you maintain to this day. Was that sort of really when the, the hook was set on the real estate and you were kind of thinking in, in high school, what do I need to do to, to become involved in real estate? Actually, high school, I wanted to study law mm-hmm. and and follow that through. But I was I was following cases online and found, or on the, in the newspapers, sorry, not online, it was more newspapers back then, and I wasn't too impressed with some of the sentencing. So I thought, well, right, well why, why go to all that trouble to try and prosecute criminals if they getting off on light sentences and that hasn't changed so I'm glad I didn't go down that path. Um, 
Was that a bit of a, I guess, a, a connection to your old man being a, a police officer? Oh, you sort of drew that without a doubt. The- seeing some of the people that he'd, um, you know, either arrested or, or, you know, had involvement with, and then um, seeing them get away with sentences that are just disgraceful, and kind of turned me off that. And I thought, well, you know, I'll follow through with business and put my focuses into business, and uh, that's where you know. I, I thought, right, well, one day I want to have my own business. Uh, I did pro- I did do a week work experience at a real estate office and thoroughly enjoyed it. But at the time, looking at the industry, everyone was much, much, much older. Uh, and it was pretty much an um, old white guy kind of industry. Right. And I thought, well... Maybe I need to wait till I get a little bit older before I get into that because I couldn't see myself being taken seriously. And it was in my mid-20s when I uh, got into the industry after working in retail and, I, I, yeah, enjoyed it, just meeting new people and, um, you know, getting, getting that. That was on the sales side of the fence though. Um, and I wanted to ask you about the the sales because I know that yeah. um, you know as a buyer's agent you're you're obviously wanting to advocate for the for the buyers rather than the sellers. But what did that sales experience teach you that you can sort of use um, to the benefit of of the people that you're representing in the negotiations and due diligence and all that sort of stuff? Well, the, fir- the first thing I tell people is that your day to day job in in real estate sales is to to meet people and talk to people so every conversation that you're having with someone who actually wants to talk to you um because there's a lot of rejection in in real estate sales uh you're picking up a a piece of either history or knowledge about a suburb and you talk to enough people in a suburb and all of a sudden you've got this tapestry of information that can give you a, an insight into that suburb from all different opinions and, and so forth that you can then go, right, well, that street tends to, you know, get a bit more uh, water during heavy rain than this one. Or, you know, that guy told me, oh, you know, lo- he loves this area, but the people come use it as a, as a shortcut. So you build up all that information and that takes a lot of time to, you know, talk to you try you, you try to talk to about 40 people a day in, in real estate to, to build up a good database at, at the minimum and you know if you're having 40 quality conversations it still will take you a long time to build up a, a picture in, in a suburb then there's the door knocking so you're physically out there looking at what property or stock is in the area and then you, you know and knowing where the wood streets are Knowing, knocking on the doors and going, oh, no, I just rent here or no, this is housing commission or, um, you know, oh, this guy's a hoarder but he owns a house so that's not going to change, that property's not going <laughs> to change in a hurry. Um, so you kind of know, okay, well, if the house comes up next door, well, yeah, might might give it a miss. Uh, then uh, beyond that, it's actually physically appraising properties. So learning how to put a price on properties, learning to tell people, uh, I'm sorry, but I don't think your house is worth a million dollars. It's only worth 600. You know, those conversations are, are fun to have. 
<laughs> that would be a much easier one to have as a buyer's agent than than perhaps a sales agent trying to get the listing, right? Well, that's the other side of the coin too. Is you know, there, there's a lot more. It's going to sound sound bad, but it's going to be a lot more incentive to to inflate a price to to an owner to get a to try and get a, a chance of selling their property. Whereas I'm I'm not trying to. Uh, influence anyone on on price or anything. It's like, well, here's here's what I know. Here's my service. If you think I you need my help, here I am. So that's the other, uh, I suppose, main difference between uh, a sales agent and, and what I I like about being a buyer's agent. So I don't have to do the, the the hard sales pitch to to you know basically fight over a pack of chips like a pack of seagulls when you've got <laughs> a good listing and you've got five or six other agents trying to get that listing and squawking it. Oh, I'll do it for one and a half percent. I'll give you free marketing. I'll, you know, you should do auction. You should do private treaty and all that other um, business that comes with, with that side of the fence. Um, I don't envy sales agents today and I tell them that. So I feel for them. Like, and that's where I think, um, you know, my rapport with sales agents is, is quite strong it's because I can say, well, yeah, I understand what you're going through or I understand, you know, where your vendor's at. So I know the conversations they're having with the vendors and I'm always knowing what the vendors are saying back to the, the sales agents when you're trying to do a tough negotiation <laughs> or we're yeah. trying, to get a, trying to get a, you know, early access or we're trying to get them to clean the backyard up before they hand it over at settlement. And they don't want to do it, you know. There's those those conversations I've I've had myself, so I can relate to the to salespeople on their level, you know. Sales agents have obviously been around for for a long time, and I wouldn't say that there's a there's a large amount of people that like to sell properties themselves in the in the Newcastle area or even generally but I'm wondering how prevalent buyers agents are in regional cities like Newcastle compared to say Sydney and Melbourne do, do, do locals use people such as yourself when they're transacting I, I don't find it as often uh, typically people working with locally have been referred to me and they're busy uh, busy people with families or uh, they've recently relocated to the area and don't know it or they've just had enough of, um, you know, missing out or dealing with, with uh, certain sales agents that they had bad experiences with. So, you know, I wouldn't say majority of people that come to me have had a bad experience with a real estate agent because it's just not true. But sometimes that's a that's a, a reason why, from a local perspective. Um, but primarily, it, it's a. Um, Typical buyer for me would be someone based outside of Newcastle that's either relocating or looking to invest, um, followed by someone who's recently relocated to Newcastle and is looking to buy or invest. Is that because you think that locals feel like they understand the the market, whereas people looking, say, from Sydney just feel like they they value someone that understands it? What's the dynamic there? A lot of that would come down to the fact that Newcastle's got about half a degree of separation. So, you know, like, like I was saying before we switched on, so I think everyone's got like half a degree of separation from Andrew Johns in Newcastle. And, you know, that's where they think, well, oh, 
look, oh, I've got a mate who's a real estate agent, they'll help me out. But they're not realising that yeah, their mate's job is to actually act for the vendor and get the best outcome for the vendor, regardless of, of, of how good a mate they are, their job, that, that's their job. And that's kind of how buyer's agency is, is evolved. Uh, going back to, you know, when I was in high school, multi-list was around and it was a, a, a tool similar to, like, I think, a MLS in America uh, where uh, there's a there's a listing agent and it's uh, a publicly available listing to any um, sales agent who just rings them up and gets what's called a conjunction or a percentage of the commission to show a buyer through the property. And that was, that was how my parents bought uh, back in the 90s. Now, when... The market got stronger. Uh, multi-list uh, went to the wayside in in the way that uh, agents wanted to maintain their own listings and keep them exclusive. So that's why now you see you, you'll never never see a open listing or a, a, a multiple signs on a property uh, on on a really good property because it, the agent wants to sell it exclusively. It's not because they necessarily want to keep all the commission for themselves either it's just it's it's one of the more efficient ways to to sell a property as having it with one one agent who's going to focus all their time and energy on it and there's all sorts of weird incentives with that as well isn't there i mean i remember the old eac multi-list days and everyone would sort of show people their listings but if they had one that they knew was red hot they might sort of keep it a little bit closer to yeah, their chest exactly. and that that was a com play yeah and and that that's and that's kind of where, you know, the whole sales caravan situations. So I remember doing one uh, when I did my uh, work experience uh, at Wall's End. I, I did a sales caravan and there was all these different people from the different, you know, multi-list offices and looking at three or four different properties that day and they're all different uh, sales agencies. And you'd, never, you'd never do that today. Um, <laughs> um, most of them put their listings up on Facebook and do see like in a very common like competitors like saying oh good work great listing blah 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 and that's a, I think a sign more of a a changing uh, um, working by oh changing environment on the social level more than a um, you know or a younger younger type of sales agent than going back 10 years ago where it was all secret squirrel stuff and you, you didn't talk to old mate down the road because he, he stole the listing off you or knocked the <laughs> boards off or you know yeah um, knocks on your doors when you you know when you've just put a sign up and, or puts things in your, your, your vendors letterboxes like that kind of stuff is a little bit gone to the wayside i think you know with social media it's more you know um a, a collaborative effort in some cases if we put to the side the the one degree of separation thing if if i'm looking at purchasing a principal place of residence or an investment property in newcastle and i think look i i've got some relatives that live there or i'm a local myself but um just wondering whether i need some expert help what's what's your pitch as a buyer's agent the Give for Growth Property Investing Podcast is presented by our business, MCG Quantity Surveyors. If you're an investor or a property professional looking to get the best tax depreciation deductions for yourself or your clients, 
please get in touch with us at mcgqs.com.au. It's our mission to help as many property investors as we can to maximise their claims and maximise their property education as well. So the, the main advantage of having myself, uh, if you're uh, a local, uh, for example, is uh, the relationships that I've got. Now, I've, I've got a lot of connections with a broad range of agents. Someone might say, yeah, but I know someone at XYZ Real Estate and they're looking for a property for me. But they're, not, they're pretty much going to be focused on what they've got listed or what their colleagues have got listed. They're where they've got a, you know, a chance of getting a commission or, or, or something back out of it. They're not going to go, oh, old mate down the road's got this one. Um, you know, it's it's where I'll, I'll be showing people the entire market. But also there's conversations where properties are coming to market, which I call pre-market, and there's off-market. So off-market where they're not likely to be advertised. And those, those are what a lot of people... Uh, come to a buyer's agent for is to get access to some of these off-market or pre-market opportunities. And that's um, being that I've been around uh, as a buyer's agent for quite a while now and uh, in business in general in Newcastle, I get these uh, these relationships that are you know, um, pretty critical to me being as successful as I have been. Yeah, and I, I always find it unusual when buyers sort of approach uh, an agent working for a vendor and give them information, and they offer to the the agent offers to help them. There's such a strong incentive to just help the vendor. I mean, that's who they're they're employed by, right? It just seems like a bit of a weird a weird situation. So that's where uh, obviously buyers agents really important. Sticking with Newcastle for the moment, can you run us through what you need to pay in Newcastle for a quality investment? Let's say houses versus unit, and and maybe contrast some of the inner city suburbs uh, with some of the the outer suburbs that are still good quality investment areas. Yeah, sure. So. First thing is I, I'm not a huge fan of apartments in Newcastle as an investment. Uh, we've had a lot of them being built and, you know, that therefore creates a lot of uh, stock for, for rental as well. There's been over the last 13 years I've been in real estate, I've only heard of maybe a handful of buildings that haven't had water egress issues and that then leads to expensive legal battles and strata fees becoming uh, prohibitive. So first thing is apartments. I'm not a I'm not a fan of. However, units. So there is a difference between an apartment and a unit and a unit is a you know, two, three-storey building uh, walk-up. So I have a particular fondness for these around Merriweather. Um, you know, 60s, 70s built buildings. They've got good history. They're solidly built. Uh, some of them have been single owners for, for many years and then strata subdivided or renovated and strata subdivided. And you'll typically pay between five and 600 depending on how close to the beach it is. If it's, you know, eyesight or walking distance, you'll probably pay over six. And the rental returns, you know, from an unrenovated one, on the fringes might be 350 and these can go up to just around the fives 
um, 500 or 550 a week rent. And those, are, I think, are a, a good, like I said, blue chip investment. They're not yeah. going to be positive cash flow. Uh, they will be for someone who's uh, negative, negative gearing. Um, for a house, um, look, any of the inner suburbs within five to five k's. So that includes Mayfield. That's within five k's, and you're going to be looking around seven hundred for a quality property in some of these pockets. I bought a really good one in Islington for seven twenty, returning five forty a week uh, earlier in the year. Uh, it was a renovated three bedroom with off street parking. Um, that's a, another deal breaker for me. It's got to have off street parking. Uh, houses in Mayfield probably pay a little bit less than that, but um, the rental yields have been improving dramatically uh, with you know, 30, 40 people lined up at inspections for rentals at the moment. Wow. Um, moving out to the suburbs, I like Cardiff, uh, Glendale. Uh, there's a lot of investment happening in Bullaroo by. And those established suburbs, are, you know, where the schools are and where the main street is and Woolworths is already there. Um, I've bought a number of properties in Carter for clients and you typically, you know, might pay around 500 and they might rent for, you know, 400 or more. It just depends on how many bedrooms, bathrooms and so forth. Um, the, um, I suppose... Primarily houses 500 square metres in that area, roughly. You know, not not looking at anything on smaller blocks or, or anything new built. And we talked a little bit about Mayfield specifically and the price growth over the last, I guess it's probably a couple of decades, but how well have Newcastle property prices held up at large during the, the pandemic? Um, it's... It's been weird. That's the best way to describe it. It hasn't really had much of an impact. So I measure, uh, I've used Mayfield as a barometer for the market because it was one of the highest turnout, uh, highest volume suburbs in Newcastle for many, many years. And at one, you know, the highest number of sales it had was 300 in one year. It was something ridiculous like that. Uh, the last 10 years, it's averaged about two to 250 sales a year the last two years it's got down to say 160 to 170 per year so wow. um, a huge drop in the volume of sales so people are staying there longer and people are spending money and the the median house price is climbing as a city as a whole we're probably sitting just under a thousand properties on domain.com um, in the region and that's when i take out properties under offer uh, in a market, you know, we'd expect this time of year probably more so around that 1100 to 1200 However, when things were at its hottest, I think it got down to in the 700s to around 800 um, And that's that's all, that's including all properties except under offer. And that just really shows that there's a, an imbalance between the supply and the demand, right? There's quite a lot of demand, so people are paying more of a premium because they don't want to miss out. Um, sort of. It, it's a different, a different type of buyer that's active in the market here at the moment. It's predominantly uh, the uh, first home buyer, 
in the Newcastle market. Moving a bit more out to the fringes, uh, uh, East Maitland around where I'm, I'm living nowadays, um, it's uh, a 50-50 split. I was talking to one of the guys the other day where his um, inquiry is coming from now. Uh, you know, So I think more investors are starting to come back to the market in Newcastle with the publication of, of how low our vacancy rate has become um, as a result of the pandemic. Mm. Yeah, and it sounds incredibly tight with the, the queues for rentals at the moment. Yeah. I want to ask you about the Newcastle-Sydney dynamic. You sort of touched on there being a bit of a chip on the shoulder of Nova Castrians being sort of the poor um, coal sort of smeared cousin of Sydney. And you've been running a bit of a cheeky ad about the best view of Sydney being in the rearview mirror. Uh, how much hate mail have you got from that? And can oh, you yeah, can you I've talk had, us behind that? I've had a few, a few uh, uh, negative comments on that one. Uh, I, I choose to hide them, but I don't delete them. <laughs> but uh, that's a saying that I heard many times growing up, uh, best view of Sydney's in the rearview mirror. And I'm just being cheeky because uh, I can get away with it. The um, the other one, I've used similar cheeky posts before about housing affordability. You know, a cubby house in Sydney selling for 1.4 million or something like that as a meme, and um, a, a, another one with Johnny Depp and a little boy on a park bench was probably one of my most successful ones where. Uh, it, he was like, oh, what's wrong, mate? And he's like, oh, I want to buy a property in Sydney. And then Johnny Depp's consoling him going, oh, oh I'm really sorry, mate, you know. <laughs> uh, yeah, it, there's, tr- there's truth to all this. And, and, and look, it's a reflection of the per- people that I'm dealing with. Like People I'm, are coming to, to me to, to get help or advice are people that feel trapped in Sydney for work. They can't. They they can't get the same income level up here. So for the short term, they have to commute. Or Now, that, now as a result of the pandemic, they're able to telecommute and they can get into an affordable market by a decent property close to the beach, close to restaurants and cafes and all the good stuff we are talking about earlier uh, and not have the hustle bustle or having to, catch multiple modes of public transport to get to work or you know spending i remember one of my clients is took 15 minutes to get to the end of a street and then 45 minutes to get to pick up a partner from from work and the same trip here would take us five minutes you know and you know when when she moved up here i said oh oh you know um it's at Charlestown. It's at Charlestown Square. It's it's a bit far out, you know. Like you, you're living in Maryville, fifteen minutes, twenty minutes away. It's a bit far out, and you know that's a I think Newcastle, fifteen twenty minutes. You know we've got to take a pack lunch, um, <laughs> but uh, she she moved up here and and she she has six months and she said to me, oh, we had I was I was taking mum out shopping and. We're going, oh, will we go to Charlestown or will we go to Qatar? And we thought, no, I'll go to Qatar because Charlestown's a bit far out. Oh, She's adjusted fairly quickly then. Didn't take long. I had another client <laughs> move from the centre of Sydney and uh, they said we wanted walking distance to everywhere. They were living in Cooks Hill and we went over there for dinner, my wife and I, to catch up with them after they'd settled in and um, 
they'd bought some you know some stuff from the shops and said oh just out of curiosity did you uh walk up to the shops to buy this is that a guilty look on his face no i drove <laughs> five minutes to market town not even that in the car um they that helped to buy again and they ended up moving to mayfield because i wanted a bigger block and i wanted to uh, get more space around them so yeah there's a an interesting shift of uh people's um perception of that suburb too there there is a real obvious connection between sydney and newcastle property markets it, it does sort of seem that newcastle property prices follow what's happening in sydney to some degree do you sort of observe that and and, and if so um, what can we read from that? I think we used to. We used to follow it by about nine months, and that was what what they used to say is like, oh, if, if um, uh, yeah, Newcastle get a sniffle if Sydney catches a cold. And one of the, I distinctly remember a, a seminar uh, that Dr. Andrew Wilson was spoke at and, and covered that exact topic where he said, look. This is the Sydney market, and it was quite a, a, a deep, um, you know, rising wave. And then the Newcastle market was the same, except the peaks and, and troughs are not as high. So, say for example, the the Sydney market might change by ten percent in a cycle. The Newcastle market might only be five percent. And then, of course, on the downside, it's it's a little bit more flatlined as well. Yeah, and it doesn't. If it goes flat, we don't see massive corrections, like ten percent drops in the market. We just don't. You know, they're unheard of. It's uh, you only see that in sales records if there's been a couple of out of line sales in the previous year that were quite high. That's adjusted it in a low volume suburb. As an investor, though, my brain kind of is is locking onto the idea. Well, if there's a there's a nine month lag, we could wait for a Sydney boom, get our finance sorted, and pull the trigger on a Newcastle property and time the market perfectly. Is that uh, a great theory, or can we make that happen? Uh, I think be- best time to invest in property is when you can afford to do it. It should be looked at as a long term plan. And if you're looking short term, it's 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 never going to work out. The costs of buying in within about you know three four years, it's gonna it, it's not going to um, shoot shoot through the roof enough to to justify it. So, should always be looking at property long term, looking at what's happening in and around that property in the long term. You know, is it going to increase in density around it? Is it going to is there a new highway or extension of a highway or bypass going through in that area? Things like that are probably more of a, a factor than following, uh, you know, another city. There's a, there's a period there where we were getting uh, a lot more investment per capita than than anywhere else in the country except for Sydney. You know, we were getting billions and billions of dollars spent here and some of that's still, still you know, filtering through particularly like the, the aerospace redevelopment at Williamtown uh, to do with the JSF strike fighters. 
Um, you know, there's the uh, all the land over at BHP that's still uh, dormant. You know, we get a container terminal there that'll uh, completely change the fabric of the city again. I think that's pretty solid advice there. Uh, the best time to buy being yesterday. I want to ask you about um, Reba. So you're you're a member of the Real Estate Buyers Agents Association. What what does that do for buyers agents at large, and how are the sort of consumers beneficiaries of of Reba? So I, I, I joined Reba because the, I recognise that there's a a wealth of knowledge uh, in that organisation. People have been in the industry for a lot longer than me, and uh, I always always think, well, if you, you in business and you want to do well, well, you seek out the people that uh, have been doing it for longer and better than you, and learn from them. And that I found that's been the biggest benefit for me as an individual and as a business owner to be able to have access to to that, that knowledge as a as a result of being a member for a period of time. There now, I've got referrals from other members from all over the country from uh, to um, help people that they know uh, buy in the Newcastle area as well. So that's from a, the business perspective. From a consumer's perspective, the application process to join Reba isn't just um, like some of the other um, organisations out there where you just pay money and put your application in. You, you actually have to go through... Uh, a questionnaire, provide a CV, provide references of buyers, references of sales agents that you've worked with, and it was quite a comprehensive application process. And that, that kind of gave me a bit of a um, comfort knowing that, well, they're not just letting anyone join this organisation. You have to have a, a, stand, a high standard of, of ethics and, and conduct to be able to be part of this. And then ongoing, we have to adhere to that code of conduct and that that um, high standard of expectations uh, uh, amongst us. So, yeah, we're, we're, there's not hundreds and thousands of us, but the, the people that uh, are in there are, are some of the top names in the industry uh, from, all, you know, from all the different areas, from you know, Melbourne, Sydney and, and beyond. And yeah. it gives kind of consumers a, a kind of comfort that, you know, you know, yeah, they might be in Sydney or Melbourne, but if they look to, they want to move to Newcastle, or they know that they can get in touch with someone who's got the same um, you know, moral approach and, and uh, as as their, their local buyer's agent. Yeah, and of course there are some rules that you're not able to sell property yourself, and all sorts of things there that are for the benefit of the the consumer as well. And uh, I can attest that there are some definitely some industry gurus and heavy hitters amongst the amongst the ranks there. Going back to to Newcastle, where do you see the best opportunities for growth in the next couple of years? Um, where I touched on with um, Carter. Um, it's a suburb that's on the fringes. It's actually in Lake Macquarie, local government area, and uh, Lake Macquarie, local government's area, is the biggest in, in the country because it's got a big lake in the middle of it. That's a, that's the that's the hot tip. Um, but <laughs> it's a very uh, again um, diverse um, area. Of, you know, to the east, it's got some high rise at Charlestown. To the west, it's got some in industry and um, new land releases happening. So 
it's Cardiff is kind of in in central central to that. Nearby, Bulgaru had a lead smelter for about a hundred years, and they've decontaminated that site, built a, a massive Bunnings, and they've just recently had Costco uh, sign off on um, a project there. Um, there's been talk of IKEA as well, but um, it's all that's only talk or hearsay at the moment. Um, you know, depending on who you talk to, is, is who tells you whether it's going to be a, a store or a warehouse or or they're not going to be there at all. But yeah, Costco is definitely on the cards, and what you typically find where you know you look at other Costco locations, other bulky retailers join, and yes. Um, they're also doing housing development there um, further up the hill and those have you know really nice lake views so uh, it's becoming that will become a, a bit of a, um, a a new um, revitalized area in itself that Bullaroo Spears Point um, in the long term but Cardiff and Glendale are definitely benefiting from some of the other investment in and around there that's uh creating jobs as well. And um, what about more of a national focus? What's your crystal ball telling you about property over the next 12 months? Oh, man, if I had a a crystal ball, I don't think I'd be working in real estate. (laughs) I've got to ask the question. People want to know what's what's going on. I I don't know. I think it's, it's too hard to say. I think... Some areas, I think the regionals are going to benefit the most out of this. I'm already, st- I'm already seeing the result of that. You see, the, the sheer lack of available rentals in Newcastle is a good indicator of that. Um, that people are moving to the city to try it before they buy it, and I think that's going to happen in a number of different centres. So um, I don't know. I, yeah, maybe. Maybe your Geelongs and your, your Ballarats, I guess, um, um, will benefit from that. Wollongong, I guess, yeah, like, you know, I find people who are living north of the harbour tend to inquire here. And so I assume that people from the south, south of the Harbour Bridge, usually look at Wollongong as an option. So I think Wollongong will probably benefit from that. Um, uh, and yeah, just seeing what happened happening north of Brisbane, there's a lot of lot of development in between um, Brisbane and Sunshine Coast as well. It seems to be continual, you know. So I think the the shift will be more to regional centres and than um, um, cities, but the infrastructure will have to follow. There'll, there'll have to be upgrades to infrastructure in these regional centres for, for it to, to all come together and work. Yeah, I think you're right, and I think that's going to be a good one to to watch. We've certainly got an appetite to be moving out of the cities in the in the midst of the, the COVID-19 and the working from home revolution. Tyrion, if people are wanting to get in touch with you to have a chat, what's the best way to do that? Uh, jump on uh, my website, which is... Um, it's pretty pretty easy one to find. It's newcastlebuyersagent.com.au uh, or on Facebook, uh, Newcastle Buyers Agent. 
Um, so that's facebook.com forward slash Newcastle Buyers Agent. And, yeah, you can book a chat with me or, or flip me an email and we can organise to have a have a chat over the phone or Zoom or WhatsApp or WeChat or whatever technology <laughs> that people are using today. Uh, um, I've got, pretty much got access to it. You're all over the internet. Now, if there's one piece of advice that you could impart to property investors, what would that be? Well, I'm not going to say get a buyer's agent because <laughs> we're not for everybody. Uh, some people do like to, to do their own, own thing, but do your bloody research. Just because the ad says it's a good investment doesn't mean it's a good investment. So do your research. Don't choose properties that are um, in your backyard or uh, something that you could see yourself living in. You're you're looking at uh, an investment property. You you look at what's going to appeal to the broadest possible market and then also your exit strategy. Most people go, oh, I'm never going to sell. But if you have to, make sure you've got something that you're going to be able to uh, offload fairly comfortably so something that's going to have the broadest appeal from a buying perspective as well beautiful awesome advice Taryn and I've really enjoyed the interview today thanks for your time no worries and cheers time.